Hello, friends. Welcome to the second hour of Open Mind with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. I'm Michael Rydelnik. I'm professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody, as well as the undergraduate dean. I'm here today and every Saturday trying to do my best to answer your Bible questions. And normally the bulk of the program is your calls with your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. But today, it's all mailbag all the time. So the best way to be in touch is by going to our website, openlineradio.org. You can post a question there. There's a link that says, Ask Michael a Question, and you can ask right there, and it'll come up in a future mailbag. But today, I'm going to be answering the questions you've sent in, and not just me, Eva Rydelnik, who's a, an adjunct faculty member at Moody Bible Institute, as well as a contributor to the Moody Bible Commentary and Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. And she is also, she happens to be my wife, my favorite Bible teacher. She and I study the Bible together all the time. I'm glad you're here, Eva. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, this way you can answer the Bible questions. You don't have to text them in yeah, that's so what, that that's I can what they answer say. them, which is what you usually do. <laughs> and then also, Trisha McMillan's here. She is the producer of Open Line. And the person who put the mailbag together, thank you so much, Hooray. Trisha. Glad you're here. <laughs> I love these programs. I love sitting around talking about the Bible. And we were laughing the first hour about how it took some time to get through those questions. And the reason it took some time was because we all talk about it. And I and guess... That's the fun part. That's why it's the Bible study across America. And Trish doesn't just put questions together. She's a she's a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. I understand. <laughs> I, I am. Yeah. yeah. And, and double graduate. Double graduate. Bachelors and masters. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's she and, knows stuff. Yeah. I love it. There are sometimes when people call the program and we know that we're not gonna get that question on the air. And Trisha will get on the line and answer their question right. with them off the air, which I love it when you do that. So, yep. Yeah. When we have time, I try. Yeah. So anyway, All right. let's, we're going to go right back to questions. Yes, and some of these are very unique ones that we've not had before, and so I'm really excited to hear okay. your answers to them. So our first question is from Betsy in Florida. She listens to WRMB. When I read Jesus' answers to people's questions in the Bible, it seems like they don't match the question. Hmm. Is this because of the translation? And so I wrote as one example um, the rich young ruler, which I forgot to write down the actual verse. So I'm going to flip here to Mark 10, um, mm -hmm. where the rich young ruler asked, good teacher, Mark 10, 17, right? yes, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, why do you call me good? Yeah. <laughs> what? That's not, that, that wasn't the point of my question. <laughs> um, and then he says, you know, you know, all the commandments, but, but it often seems like Jesus, it's not just, here's what you do. Or yes or no, you know, if it's a yes or no question, it's a little more involved than that. And yes. why? <laughs> uh, I think that the very point, I mean, Jesus is good. So why does he ask that question? Why do you call me good? I think he's trying to diagnose, not just for himself, because obviously he knows what's inside of us. Even in these interactions, he knows what's in man, it says at the end of John 2. But rather, he is helping the person Think about why are they, why are you asking me this question? What, what are you trying to do? Just butter me up? Do you really think I'm good? Do you understand what I mean? Why mm -hmm. do you call me good? Yeah. He, he's kind of probing what that which he knows about the person intuitively or I think omnisciently ab yeah. about us. <laughs> yeah. uh, not intuition, but omniscience. Uh, so that's the one thing that he's doing. But he often doesn't give the answer that's expected. Mm -hmm. I think that that's just amazing. 
Uh, and it serves to show how unpredictable the Messiah is. Uh, I've got a book brewing that I want to write about that, that when you look at how Jesus responds to people, he always gives the unpredictable, unexpected answer. I, one of my favorite examples of that is Luke 13. And, and the reason for that, it is, it's sort of an upside-down view of the problem of evil. Uh, and the reason I say that is it says in Luke 13, uh, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So apparently Pilate at their Passover sacrifices took them, killed people, and mixed their blood with the sacrifices they were offering. He was a bad guy, Pilate, right? And he responded, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful men, sinful than all Galileans because they suffered these things? What did we expect of the Messiah when they came with that? Sympathy? Ooh, I'm so sorry. This is, wait, wait. I know what your real question is. Were they worse? And that's why God allowed it to happen? Do you think they were more sinful than you are? And, and you're, you're safe because you're not sinful? No, I tell you. Unless you repent, you'll perish as well. And then he says, or the 18, then he, Jesus raises another problem of evil. This is not human evil, but natural evil, we would call it. A tower in Siloam fell on them and killed them. Do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish as well. And then he tells the story of the barren fig tree and why it is that the barren fig tree gets to not be destroyed right away which it should be, because the farmer asked for patience uh, of the owner. Uh, he says, w you know, I know it's not producing anything, but let me give it another year. I'll, I'll, I'll put some food, plant food around it. I'll fix it up, and let's see if we can get more fruit. It's, and, and the decision is made to let it go for another year out of, God, out of patience. And what he is saying is the reason everyone doesn't experience evil is because God is being patient. He's giving you time to repent. Because if we all got what we deserved, we'd be flashed in an instant. We'd be gone. Uh, and this is an utterly unexpected answer that focuses on God's mercy despite our evil rather than, yeah, those people were bad, and that's why they got that. Do you understand? It's just an upside-down answer. And start studying Jesus' answers to questions. I'd say ninety percent of the time he gives an upside down answer. Right. So That's, these are they're not translation issues no. as to why there doesn't seem to be a question and then a response that correlates to the question. Yeah. It's right. a messianic it's issue. A, okay. <laughs> it's when you're the Messiah, you know what people need to hear. Right. Yeah. That's. Uh, right. I think I think that it's one of my favorite things as I, as I've studied the Gospels. That's the thing that strikes me the most. I mean, read the Good Samaritan. Yeah. The story. There's no such thing as a Good Samaritan, right? Right. And so when the Lord Jesus gives the answer about the Good Samaritan, he, what? That's not what we expected to hear, right? right? Uh, in, in the first century, there was no expectation that there was one Good Samaritan. And the Lord Jesus tells that story. Who's the true neighbor? So, yeah, it's, I, I love that. It's, it's, there's so many things I love about the Lord Jesus. But uh -huh. when I study these, I'm thinking... Wow, this, this is just great. And as a teacher, one of the things I've tried to do is sometimes when, when students ask questions in class, I try to answer not the question that they're asking, 
as well, I, in addition, I want to answer the question that they're really asking. The question behind the, the question. The question mm -hmm. behind the question. And I think you do that on open line. We'll yeah. talk about that sometimes off the air. Yeah. That there's there's often a question behind a question that we that we really want to know. Yeah. 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 That's what I do. Sometimes I'll probe for it and sometimes I'll just right. answer it. I know. Right. Yeah. But that's that's because I, I I've watched the model of the Lord. And have studied it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that question, Betsy. Our next question is from George on Facebook. In Matthew 20, 10, 28, sorry, Matthew 10, verse 28, it says, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What does this mean? It seems to say that the body and soul will be destroyed in hell and that those who go there won't suffer for eternity. Is that yeah. what it's saying? Uh, what, and what, what is he trying to say? <laughs> the question here is about annihilationism. Uh, there are some people who teach that eternal separation from God is that those who are lost will just be, after some time of suffering, they'll be poof, gone, annihilated, and, then and thereby they are eternally separated from God. Uh, I, I, I think that some people feel that's preferable. Uh, I'm not sure, but I, I, what I would want to do is stick to the text. What it's talking about when it talks about dis destroy the soul, or dis it, that that's talking about eternal, perpetual, never-ending destruction. It's the per forever process, and uh, there's a, a verse. In, in Re that Revelation fourteen yeah, eleven, sure, um, that kind of sort of speaks to that. Hang on, let me let me find Revelation. Where is that in the Bible? It's a, it's, oh, it's, it's near the, toward end. the end. Toward yeah. the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here. Hang on. <laughs> All right. Fourteen eleven says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. That that's so, sort of an, a picture of what yeah. eternal torment is yeah. right there at it's the just, end. It never stops. It's never stopping. It's not annihilationism, but it is perpetual yeah. suffering. And, and you know, in Isaiah 56, uh, I think that's interesting. This is not just a New Testament concept. It's also an Old Testament concept. Uh, and also there's the verses that Lord Jesus says where uh, the, where the worm doesn't cease, you know, and... Mm -hmm. It's just that, it, that it's a forever, ever thing, but uh, and the fire never is quenched. Uh, but in Isaiah, let's see if I can actually find it. In Isaiah 56, uh, I think it is, It unless I'm, I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong. Uh, <laughs> but there's a verse in it that also talks about it. It's, I'm sorry, Isaiah 66. How's that? Yeah, that's, right. uh, that sounds good. That it sounds says, good. Uh, <laughs> They will see the de dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm will never die, their fire will never go out, and they will be a horror to all mankind. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not just talking about their bodies there. It's, it's talking about perpetual, eternal separation from God. Uh, Isaiah 50, 66, verse 24. So okay. uh, it's, it's, let me just, I'm going to try and pull this around. One of the most heartbreaking things is that people who were created 
to have eternal fellowship with God are, because of sinfulness and rebellion against God, are going to be separated from him forever. And I have seen too many followers of Jesus kind of when they get mad at people who don't know the Lord, they kind of gloat about this. You'll see, all right? But this should be the most heartbreaking thing that we've ever, ever encountered in Scripture, and it should be the great motivation that we're going to present the good news of Messiah and how much God loves people to everyone. That's what I think is so crucial. This should be not something that we ever are happy about. This is only, only something that should motivate us to let the love of God be known to people so they will trust in him. We're going to come back with more questions in just a moment. This is Open Mind. Stay right there. The new year is all about getting our priorities right. So Chosen People Ministries wants to help us get our outreach goals in order. That's why they're offering a booklet called To the Jew First in the 21st Century. Written by Dr. Al Mohler, this booklet reaffirms God's love for the Jewish people and shows why believers must continue to present the Messiah Jesus to them. Dr. Mohler says, Jewish evangelism is the clearest test case for faithfulness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus the Messiah in this generation. For your free copy of To the Jew First in the 21st Century, just go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down and you'll see the link that says A Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of To the Jew First in the 21st Century. Some people think the Bible is too complex to read, but God never intended to frustrate us. If reading God's Word intimidates you, then I have a perfect resource. It's called Living by the Book, written by master teacher Howard Hendricks. This book will give you the confidence to read the Word and help you understand the Bible's relevance to life. Ask for Living by the Book when you give a gift of any amount. Call 888-644-7122 or just go to openlineradio.org. We're back. I'm Michael Radelnik, and joining me today is Trish McMillan. She put together the mailbag. It's an all-mailbag, all-the-time program, and Trisha was concerned I couldn't answer these questions, and so she also invited Eva Radelnik <laughs> uh, to be here so that she could make sure that the questions got answered appropriately. I'm glad you're here too, Eva. So. Yeah. There we go, having a good time. <laughs> I love our Bible studies together, and I love answering people's questions. So our next one is from Kenneth in Illinois, listens to WMBI. He is looking at John 14, 2, mm-hmm. which is when Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us, or for, for them. Um, and he says, I've been bothered for many years by the translation because there are two different translations on this verse. One says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? This makes sense to him, he says. The other translations reverse, take away the question and make it a statement and kind of reverse the meaning almost. And it says, if it were not so, I would have told you. But there are a lot of statements that are not so, and Jesus doesn't tell us those. So which is the more accurate translation? Well, I'm going to just read it to you, okay? Now, now, just to clarify, this is you translating the Greek on the air? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, In my father's house, there are many rooms. Many people say mansions. No, 
bathrooms. Maybe Mansions a, is a nice idea. <laughs> yeah, it's actually apartments to be clear, okay. dwelling places. All right. Uh, and then it says, if it were not so, then I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. That's it. Then I would have told you. Oh. I would have told you so. That's it. I'm reading but, it. But why would he go to the trouble of telling you? Hey, I'm going to make a place. Because if I wasn't making a place, I would have told you I wasn't making because a place. Because he's, he's the one that's been telling them all about eternal life. And if I wasn't going to do this, if, if you're going to be hanging around floating on a cloud with your little uh, harp, mm-hmm. I would have told you. But no, I'm, I'm actually going to prepare a place for you. I'm not leaving you behind not to bring you back with me. I'm, I'm going to make a place for you. That's why I'm going ahead. Okay. So I would have told you what was going to happen. Yeah. Because... Yeah. If it wasn't this other way, this way that I have been telling you, I would have told you that because I would have told you what was actually going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. It. So I haven't been lying to you this yeah, whole time. Exactly. Yeah, right. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that clears that up, Kenneth. Yeah. Um, when I saw your question, I was like, "Yeah, that's a great question." Because even in my notes in my Bible, it has a little um, footnote that says, and some translations say this, and so it is confusing. Yeah. To know which is the Right. Mm-hmm. Why did some put a question mark in there just to make get, it seem make more sense? Uh, there, for example, the translation I worked on, which was the HCSB, once once it was all in, mm-hmm. the editors were reworking it and making sure everything was right. They had an English stylist, oh, who makes sure that it's. I mean, it really says the same thing either way, but making it so that uh, that's what they have. They always have an English stylist trying to make sure that it's understandable to the English reader. Okay, to make to, to have the least amount of confusion with yeah. what they're reading. Okay, yeah. all right. So kind of related to that, Nathan in Washington listens to KMBI and wants to know, are the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven the same thing, or are they different? We have Jesus teaching about both um, mm-hmm. in the New Testament, in mm-hmm. the Gospels. Are they the same thing? Are they different things? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, first of all, there are, there were interpreters in the early 20th century and late 19th century that treated the kingdom of heaven as it was used in the gospel of Matthew as something distinct from the kingdom of God in the other gospels. And the problem with that is they don't understand that Matthew was written to Jews and that Jewish people often used a euphemism for the word God and the euphemism that was commonly used was heaven because hmm. that's God's abode. So you can talk about where God is. Uh, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are exactly the same thing. Uh, th- does that make sense? Uh, so that, yeah. So instead of saying his name, yes, because he was the one who cannot be named. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, they would the, say heaven. The ineffable instead. name of God, the unpronounceable, unspeakable the, name the of YHWH God. The YHWH that we talked yeah. about last, last hour. hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then, then what you do is you say uh, heaven. Heaven. The kingdom of and, heaven. And you see, it's mostly in Matthew where the phrase appears. Yeah. Because Matthew is a very Jewish gospel. Yeah. Writing okay. to Jewish people. And so Matthew is using the euphemism kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is the rulership of God. And, uh, what what that refers to it, now there is a sense where god is our ruler our king right now mm-hmm. but very often in scripture when it talks about what the kingdom of heaven will be like there's also a very jewish idea which is the malchut the, of god uh when is that going to come eva you should tell us 
the, the, the when, kingdom. The, the ultimate kingdom when Messiah comes and reigns on the throne of David for a thousand years. Yeah. So, so in a sense, yeah. we have a, the beginning of it now. Mm-hmm. It's now, not yet. Yeah. But now, not yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's reigning over us spiritually. Mm-hmm. So the kingdom of heaven is among us, right? But one day, he's going to be really among us, ruling us at the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God uh, when he reigns from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So is mm-hmm. it a similar idea to sanctification that... We are sanctified, but we are we are still always in the process of being sanctified. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's in similar. the same way. There's the like same a, kind of idea. There's yeah. a a now lesser version, but there will be a completed version yeah. later. Yeah, I see what you mean. In yeah. terms of the kingdom, uh-huh. yeah, there's uh, the, like, the the present sanctification, which is a process, and the ultimate sanctification, which is when we're glorified. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah. in the yeah. same way, this this kingdom, we are in the kingdom of the we're kingdom of God in is in his us. Kingdom. Okay. Obviously, he's reigning over us. He's our king. Okay, right. But and on the other hand, ultimate. The, at the millennial reign, yeah, the king, the ultimate kingdom of God. Yeah, the the lion and, and the lamb are not lying down together. There's no end of war now. Right now, yeah. Um, you know, death is common now; won't be common then. Okay. So, with this thinking about the kingdom of God, is this part of with this language or the kingdom of heaven? Is this kind of lumped? Not lumped. Is this kind of connected to the the um? king the reigning ruling king that they were expecting of mm-hmm. the messiah yeah so like so his language the lord jesus deals men. with this they expected the messiah to come and and kick out the romans and establish mm-hmm. peaceful reign with israel at the head of the nations and what the lord jesus says was right now we've got a spiritual kingdom for you okay uh and you can experience spiritual peace if you believe in the messiah i will reign over you now but ultimately, I'm going to return, and then I'm going to establish that kingdom of peace on earth. Okay. Uh, and so that that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And, and yeah. I think that's a little bit of what what Jesus is talking about in uh, the in the least uh, f- favorite promise to claim in John sixteen thirty three <laughs> when he says, "These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but but." Be encouraged, I have overcome the world. Yeah, he's our king. He's, he's our king the now. World. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Thank you for that question, Nathan. Randolph in South Carolina listens to the Good News Network um, and says that Paul appeals to Caesar in Acts because of his Roman citizenship. The Jewish people bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate, um, who was Roman, Right, Roman ruler. Mm-hmm. Okay, so was Jesus a Roman citizen also? Pontius Pilate gave his verdict that he found no laws of Rome were broken by Jesus. What was Paul born in Rome? I mean, like, what's the yeah. difference between the two that he could claim that? Yeah. Could could any Jewish person under this Roman jurisdiction that they were living in claim o- that? Only American an American would ask this question <laughs> <laughs> Be- because we have birthright citizenship. If we're born in America. It's true. Yeah, we're citizens of America. Right. It's, the Roman if, Empire did not have birthright yeah. citizenship. Okay. Yeah, if you were born in the Roman Empire, it didn't give you birthright citizenship. Yeah. And so then how was Paul a Roman citizen? Well, it's either his, probably his father purchased it. Oh. Uh, you There were certain things that you could do. Uh, remember when Paul says that he's a Roman citizen, citizen and he says, uh, uh, you, you, you purchased your citizenship, I think he says to a centurion, but I was born a citizen. So probably his father purchased it, and 
and Paul was born into that because it, it is passed down to your children. Okay. okay. But uh, everyone is born in the Roman Empire was not a citizen. Sometimes the emperors uh, would grant soldiers from other countries that joined the Roman army citizenship as a gift. For uh, you know, they didn't get the GI Bill. What they got was <laughs> was citizenship, okay. and and the privileges of that. So he was under. The Lord Jesus was on the governance of Rome because Rome was governing Judea. And that's why he was brought to Pontius Pilate. Someone would say governance, some would say oppression. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, they were governing authority in Judea. Uh, on the other hand, he was not a citizen, uh, so he could not have claimed, uh, I appeal to Caesar, as Paul did Okay. Uh, later on in the book of Acts, because he was, Paul could do that because he was a Roman citizen. But the Lord Jesus was just a, he was Jewish from Israel. Okay. Which, and had not purchased a Roman citizenship. Or, or, yeah. and, and there were certain, there were certain um, Roman cities, cities that they had jurisdiction over where the people who were from those cities had. Roman colonies. Co- yeah, colonies that had citizenship. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like Tarsus or like Philippi. There I don't, were, I don't there know were, if Tarsus was a, was a colony, but, but Philippi was Philippi. a colony. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. So. But the, the land of Israel was not. Was not. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Is that helpful? Yes, very. And Sherwin White, Roman Citizenship and Law, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, is the name of the book. Anyway, uh, we're going to come right back with more of your questions. These are such great questions about the Lord Jesus. Maybe we'll have more. I don't know. But the questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. So don't go away. This is Michael, Eva, and Tricia answering your questions. We'll be right back. We're so glad that FEBC partners with Open Line with Dr. Michael Radonik, bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org. Welcome back to our Total Mailbag program today of Open Line. Uh, Eva Rydelnik is here with me, and so is Trish McMillan. And you have contributed greatly by sending in all these questions. And so we're going to try and get right back to it. Trisha, what do we got next? All right. David from Illinois listens to WMBI and said, I recently heard about a deliverance ministry, and the main scripture that they use to support the power to cast out demons is from Mark 16, verse 17. Is this verse speaking to all believers, or, it, or was it just for certain believers? Well, what Mark 16, verse 17 says uh, has to do with us casting out demons. Now, before we do anything else, let me explain what deliverance ministry is. It generally says that when we keep on sinning, it's because there are demons controlling believers. The Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. I don't think that... Now, certainly demons and Satan can have influence, oppress, attack believers, but I do not believe they, it's reasonable to cast demons out of followers of Jesus because uh, God possesses us, not demons. And so uh, the, the verse that he's speaking of, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, 
they will drive out demons. Well, that doesn't say whether it's in believers or not. Now, the problem with deliverance ministry is it does say that it is driving demons out of followers of Jesus. And so I think that's one problem. Second issue is this is an interesting passage because it is part of the addendum, so to speak, that some scribe put onto the Gospel of Mark. And it's an, I don't believe it's part of the earliest and best manuscripts. And the footnote in mine uh, says in this bracketed area, it says verses 9 through 20, uh, many manuscripts omit bracketed text. So uh, that's what I would say. However, one of the most important lessons about deliverance ministry, I find in the book of Ephesians, when it talks about us being involved in spiritual warfare, when I look at that passage in Ephesians 6, it doesn't say that we are to uh, cast out demons. It says, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And then it even use, uses the word stand or stand against, which is the same root as res resist uh, in this passage. And then uh, Ever, Ever. What, What's that, what was that? Eva. Wait, wait. Eva. What was what was that Ephesians passage for people to write down at home? It's Ephesians chapter six, okay. verses thirteen and following. Yep. And then you've got a verse for us too, don't you? I Eva? do. I do. Um, in First Peter, it says that chapter five. Uh -huh, First Peter chapter five, verse eight and nine. It says, "Be sober. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil." prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience suffering is being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So what are you supposed to do when, when he seeks to devour us? It doesn't say cast out. What's it says it say? resist. Don't remove, resist. Resist. And resist. And, and you, what are you supposed to be? Firm in your faith. Yeah, but what's the key word, though? Resist. And Tricia? Yeah, James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Yeah. Okay. But resist so, the devil, and he will flee from you. Ex exactly. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, 1 Peter 5, James 4, it's not remove the devil, and then you won't sin. What is it? Resist. 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 Stand against. And uh, how do we resist? We resist with the Word of God. We can even quote it. Uh, we can resist. Well, and that's with... what Jesus did at his temptation. Exactly. He quoted mm -hmm. the Word of God back. And we can resist uh, by putting on the armor of God. Uh, there are so many things we can do, but what we can't do is we can't cast out the flesh. <laughs> but we can resist the enemy. So that's... Okay. Uh, by the way, I, I just think it, that's one of the great lessons that we, it's easy to say, I'm just going to cast out this demon and then I won't have the, you know, problem with gluttony anymore. No, uh, go on a diet. There we go. So <laughs> Thank you for that question, David. Related to this, Sharon wrote us on Facebook and wanted to know what the reasoning behind the order of putting on each piece of the armor of God is in Ephesians 6. Um, she has prayed starting head to toe, but that doesn't seem to be what the Bible is teaching. Can no. you kind of go through what the 
Re- is there a reasoning behind the order in Ephesians 6, verses 13? Well, I'm not sure if the I can say that there's an exact order, but I, I think when it says, put on the armor of God, wouldn't you say it's much more of a practical lifestyle than praying something on? We don't pray on the armor. What we do is, uh, it says stand, or uh, the idea of resist against, stand, therefore, with truth, like a belt. So what we need to do is live lives based on the truth. And then uh, righteousness, like like armor on your chest. We have to, uh, I think, experience righteousness, which would be justification by faith in Jesus and then living in accordance with that. Uh, And have our feet, you can go through it, sandaled with readiness of the gospel. So we have to be ready to go and tell anyone about Jesus. These are lifestyle situations. So often people think, if I just pray this, then I'm safe in in spiritual warfare. No, this requires uh, a lifestyle that affects how we, the way we live is how we uh, will be successful in spiritual warfare. Yeah, and I think it has to do just exactly like you say. That it is it is a lifestyle that allows us to stand firm. I think that's that's the big word that we see over here yeah. in this. In the Which passage. is related to the word resist. Related to the word resist, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's like you say. It's not like a it's not like a a a, a code for how you should be what you should do for a second, and third. I yeah. think these are all things that should be done all the time. Normal lifestyle. Normal and, lifestyle. And what what I think is so funny is that people would like. And I think this is just my nature. I'm not trying to criticize others. I would like an easy answer to the issue of sin. Yes. <laughs> I would like I would like it just, you know, if I just take this pill, yeah. then you won't right. sin anymore. I just right. pray on this this these things and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be I'll be good, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is talking about having a transformed life which happens through yeah, prayer I think is one of those spiritual disciplines, but other spiritual disciplines as well that as we practice spiritual disciplines, God uses that so that we can live a righteous life. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we do, as we practice spiritual disciplines and seek openings to share the gospel, we have our feet shod with the gospel of peace. So, I think it's, another thing that's interesting about this passage is that it, 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 so many of these different items are quotations from the book of Isaiah. Oh, yeah. I think that is very interesting, too, because it, it shows that, you know, all the Bible is important. All the Bible is applicable. We need to spend time in it to get to know him yeah. in order to stand firm. I think sometimes Paul was reading Isaiah when he wrote that. I wonder, too. So, anyway. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's, that's I think, the, the, the key. I've heard many people say, just pray on the armor of God. Well, you can do it. It's not going to help. What you have to do is live the armor of God, and that comes with uh, practicing spiritual disciplines. All right. Thank you for that. Yeah, let's take a break. All right. Uh, We're going to come back with more of your questions in just a moment. Uh, This is Open Line. It's an all-mailbag program, so you can't call today. But Eva Rydelnik's here. She's answering questions. Trisha's asking and also answering questions. Appreciate that. Uh, And I'm going to be right back. I'm Michael Rydelnik. You're listening to Open Line. We're all going to be back, so don't go away.
Welcome back to Open Line. Trish McMillan is here with me. I'm Michael Rydelnik, and Trish is asking the questions you've sent in. Eva Rydelnik is here as well, answering questions with me. She is my <clears throat> my ultimate kitchen table partner <laughs> okay. because we study the Bible together. Sometimes at the kitchen counter, sometimes or at, we have a bar in our yeah, kitchen, kitchen counter, and yeah. sometimes at our kitchen table we read together, and uh, that's that's always so fun and. Uh, I think that's the whole idea that we have of kitchen table partners, people who listen regularly, sit around the radio kitchen table, they study the Bible uh, with me every week, and I'm so grateful for them listening. And then some have decided to become uh, official kitchen table partners by committing to give monthly to Open Line so we can stay on the air weekly with our Bible study across America. And I, I think that that is so crucial and so helpful. I'm so grateful for it. Some of you might consider becoming kitchen table partners. And the way to do that is just by going to our website, openlineradio.org, or calling 888-644-7122. When you sign up, I'll send you a Bible study moment prepared exclusively for our kitchen table partners. I think you'll really enjoy that. Again, call 888-644-7122, or just go to openlineradio.org. All right. Our next question is actually, I'm combining two questions, one from Kristen in Tennessee, one from Gordon in Florida, who are both trying to talk with friends about uh, their faith. And their friends are raising concerns and saying that the Bible is untrustworthy because it's been edited so many times that you can't trust what it says, or that they've made up stuff after the fact that's been put into the Bible. Um how could they respond to this, and are there any resources you would recommend that would help assess the accuracy of the Bible to show that inerrancy and that it's trustworthy? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to just say, Eva, Eva is like, she's so big on history, <laughs> history. and geography. and Yeah, what? I, th- I think that's one of the reasons that we can have real confidence in our faith is because it is based in time and history, geography. But as far as the manuscripts themselves, the reliability of the manuscripts, I'll just talk about the Old Testament for just a minute. Michael can maybe pick it up on the new. But I think one of the greatest evidences for the reliability and accuracy of the scriptures as we have it was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, And they were discovered in 1947 in Qumran by the Dead Sea. And those manuscripts that had been hidden there before the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., these manuscripts date back to, say, 200 um, BC. BC, 200 years before the Messiah came. They are virtually the manuscripts that have been found and translated word for word for the documents that we have in our Bibles today. Hmm. They're, they're very little difference. And before that, the, 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 the Old one, Testament was yeah, like— About, uh, about 1,100 AD. Yeah, about 1,000, let's say. So, mm-hmm. so it threw back the manuscripts more than 1,000 years— and they're still the same. And they were the same. So still there, the there same. wasn't any corruption that was happening. Yep. Now you can find there's a textual variant, this or that, but that's the great thing. One of the reasons why the New Testament, I could say, is accurate is that we have so many manuscripts. Right. And that with all these manuscripts, you can see the variants. But even when there's a, a variant, it's so textual criticism, it only affects less than 1% of the New Testament in terms of anything. And even then, it's so easy. So it might be uh, something about, it might say our or your, and they are used synonymously. That's a good bit of the differences. And then 
uh, there are things when we look at those manuscripts. As, if I sent you 10 notes written by 10 students, mm-hmm. and they all say, happy birthday, Tricia, mm-hmm. and each one spells happy birthday wrong, but in a different way. Okay. We still know what the original note that they copied said, which was happy birthday. Happy birthday. Right. Uh, and that's what we have. We have so many variants with the New Testament, so many manuscripts. When we put them all together, uh, we know what this original was. So right. it is accurate and strong. Yeah, if there are two two books that you want to think about that you might want to pick up and read for yourself, it's um, one is Seven Reasons Why We Can Trust the Bible by Dr. Erwin Lutzer, published mm-hmm. by Moody Press. And if you want to Moody go Publishers. In, uh, Moody Publishers, I'm living in the past. Yeah. And, uh, and also Josh McDowell's book on evidence that a man's a verdict has a very strong presentation yeah. of the reliability of the New Testament and Old Testament text. The new evidence that demands a verdict. The new evidence, because that's a revised version, yeah. Yeah. right? Okay. New evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell and seven reasons why we can trust the Bible by Erwin Lutzer. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Our next question is kind of related. Um, James in South Carolina says, Paul states to Timothy that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, but it seems he could have only been referring to the Old Testament, right? So based on that, he's in the New Testament because otherwise it's a source quoting a source. But why do we assume then that the New Testament is inspired? Um, And then do we have evidence that God guided the hands when selecting the canon? So when when determining which books went into the Bible, how do we know that that's well, one of the things that that one of my favorite verses in First Peter is where Peter talks about Paul's writings and what he says. Let's see, Second Peter three, Second Peter three, mm-hmm. yeah, verse sixteen. Uh, he says. Um, about uh, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him, he speaks about these things in all his letters, in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. Well, yeah, I've, I've read Romans. There are hard things mm-hmm. in there. Uh, the untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. So, what is Peter doing? With Paul's writings, he's equating them with the rest of the scriptures. So here we have a very early uh, epistle by the Apostle Peter, and he recognizes the Apostle Paul's writings as scripture. And so, no, when Paul says all scripture is inspired, whether he was just mainly talking about the Old Testament or not, uh, that's one thing. But he also is included in scripture himself by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Peter. Apostle Peter, right. So uh, I, th- I think that is one of the things that is really important to see, that the whole New Testament was considered inspired. Uh, and th- Yes? Th- and also, like, really early in this, in this very chapter, the first couple verses of Second Peter 3 says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets, that'd be like the Old Testament, right? And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So it's mm-hmm. linking the, the uh, 
reliability and scriptural nature of the Old and New Testament. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Paul writes, this is kind of interesting, because in First Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, we've got that. He's talking about the Old Testament. But in 1 Timothy 5.18, he says, uh, For the Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. That's actually Deuteronomy 25.4. It's from the Torah. And the worker is worthy of his wages. That's Luke 10.7. Hmm. So what Paul is saying, the Scripture says, what does he include? Both Old Testament and New Testament. So that's important. All right. And then what, um, how do we know, do we have evidence that when selecting the canon and the books that belong in there, mm-hmm. that God was guiding the hands that did that? Well, uh, it just seems to me, how do you know when a book is in the canon? Is if it's inspired. And when the books were written, they were immediately received by the churches as inspired scripture. And that's what, what it was. So that by the time you come to the late fourth century, when Athanasius gives his Easter letter, he is not determining the canon. He is recognizing what has been the canon. You can see it by the way the, the church fathers have quoted the scriptures and they recognize the New Testament. They quote virtually every New Testament book as scripture. Okay. And let me just say, I encourage you to pick up um, Pastor Lutzer's book on the seven reasons why we can trust the Bible mm-hmm. and understand what he's saying there. And don't look to Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code. Ah! for the origin of the canon or any of that because Dan Brown and Da Vinci Code completely, completely wrong. Mm. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Well. Do you want to try and squeeze this in? I'll answer so quick. Okay. Sharon in Indiana wants to say she appreciates the program. Matthew 121, Joseph is directed to name the baby Jesus. Um, And it cites Isaiah where the name, they're supposed to name him is Emmanuel. Why do we address him as Jesus instead of Emmanuel? Well, uh, Emmanuel was a throne title, just like in 2 Samuel 12, 24. Solomon was given the throne title of Jedidiah, or friend of God. So that is, is why Emmanuel is a throne title, but Jesus is the personal name that he was to give. But let me just say, Jesus as the Messiah is still Emmanuel, not just at Christmas time. He is always God with us. If we put our trust in him, we believe that he died for our sins and rose again. He will be Messiah in us. He will live in us and never leave us. That's the good news, isn't it? Well, we're going to take a say goodbye now. I can't believe uh, the program's over, but it is. uh, Keep in touch with Open Line. First of all, thanks, Eva. Thanks, Trish, for for joining me for this day. And also, check out our website, openlineradio.org. It has all the links you're looking for. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. See you next week.